Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. All right, another episode of the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network. We're into November. We got the Paris Masters concluding this weekend, and a guest on the show making his second appearance, Nico Pereira. Nico, thanks for joining the show. Well, it's a pleasure. I thought I was never going to be asked back, so I guess you know I should be thanking you. You remember the first time you were on this? It was actually Valentine's Day, so we'll try to keep those positive vibes going. It's. Uh, not Valentine's Day anymore, no, but, but it, it could be a very special day today. It could be. It could be. We got the Paris. I mean, Valentine's Day, Paris, you know, city of love. Some say the tie in there. Uh, a lot of great action going on. We're almost done with the quarterfinals today. One player that was not in Paris, Novak Djokovic, the world number one who's circling in on the end of the year ranking world number one title, trying to line up his sixth ATP finals title in London. Here's TC Live's discussion on Novak Djokovic's year. It's been an eventful one. He lost in Vienna last week in dramatic fashion. Here's what the crew said on TC Live. Now, granted, the tennis season has been abbreviated, but Novak Djokovic certainly made the most of it before the pandemic. He played three events, winning them all, including the Australian Open. Then after the hiatus, he won Cincinnati and Rome and made the final at Roland Garros. All in all, Novak has gone 39-3 and this year, including a 26-match win streak to start the season. He's won four titles. He's clinched the year-end number one for the sixth time, which ties him with Pete Sampras for the most ever and as we welcome you back to TC Live. Let's start with that particular achievement by Novak because I know we normally measure greatness by you know how many Grand Slam titles have you won but but where does that fit as a, a big time achievement to win the year in number one six times? Well you can see what it means to him I mean he was in Vienna and almost kind of tanked the match against Sinego because he felt like he had already almost achieved his goal of being there six times and to tie Pete Sampras of being six times there and and again, it's, that means a lot. I mean, it's lo- the longevity of your career. It shows that he's been able to stay healthy. I mean, he's got little uh, plastic things of food in his uh, locker that he eats every day. And so he's got little routines that he sticks to, and that shows why he's able to be where he's at and to achieve these things. Yeah, look, I mean, all those guys, all the greats play for history, right? And I think the one thing that they do is they play against themselves, what they expect. And when you get thrown in a group of folks just like this, you got to be thrilled. Look at these all-time legends. Novak would be six with Pete. One little caveat, as our uh, boss downstairs, Mark Huska, knows that I'll keep talking about. Pete Sampras did it six times in a row, and that's never been done before. And Pete said that probably is his greatest accomplishment because you get one shot at it. And uh, that, that took a lot out of him. I remember when he did it. But six period, that's pretty darn good, too. And just for the <laughs> record, it still says five under Djokovic's name because mathematically, technically, he has not clinched number six Why yet. Why were you looking at me when you said mathematically? <laughs> I don't. Because we have the mind meld that we're not going to ask you to do any <laughs> equations on the program. But uh, six is all but uh, locked up. Of course... Comma, however, for all the great things that Novak has achieved on the court this year, there have been a couple of notable missteps outside the lines, starting with the Adria Tour, which 
he organized with all the best intentions, but which, as we all know, blatantly disregarded protocols for COVID protection, ended up in a rash of positive tests and ultimately the cancellation of the tour. And then at the U.S. Open, that incident where he was defaulted for accidentally, of course, hitting a ball in anger into that lineswoman's throat. And so I guess that brings us to this question, Paul, for, for all that he achieves on the court, can Novak at times be his own worst enemy? Look, I think we all can. I mean, I know I. I but have, him in particular. <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, yes, to be quite frank, and and let's let's take one at a time. And and the Atria tour was done with all good intentions. Um, he did a lot of things philanthropic, philanthropically that he wanted to get involved in through that tour. Got some guys to come and play. He was following all the protocols of the country. I did a lot of the reading as it was going on because I came in here and I was watching it and I was sitting there sweating because it was so different than what we were hearing about. So while it was done with good intentions, that was really a misstep. That was a big mistake. He was following the lead of the government in terms of what was open and what was allowed. So to me, it was something that was well-intentioned but really ill-advised. You go to New York, that's just bad luck. But unfortunately, Nick, as you know, as players, we're responsible for what happens, yeah. good and bad. It's up to you. It was totally not intentional, but it happened, and that's up to him. That's his fault. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like he wanted to kind of show the ATP that we could still play tennis, we could have crowds, we the players could play, you know, and I felt like, as you said, it was just a big misstep. I mean, I think the players were obviously happy to be there, happy to be on the court, happy to make some money, but again, you know, COVID is, is a real thing, and, and he was kind of acting like it wasn't present, and so there we were. And the incident at the U.S. Open was bad luck, but it was also done by a guy who should know better that if you hit a ball blindly, that it could hit somebody and result in your default, but I, I wanted to bring up one other thing that, that has happened with Novak this year outside the lines, and that is his spearheading the, the PTPA, the new labor union, or something that approximates a labor union, and we're not here to discuss whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, but Paul, for a guy who's world number one, who's trying to chase history in the sport, does he need that headache on his plate too? I'll look at it two ways. Pretending I would be his coach, I would be like, stay away from that. We, that's the last thing you want to get involved with because he has so much to look forward to in terms of what he's trying to accomplish. As you mentioned, that's the first thing. And then looking at it as a former person that was on tour mm -hmm. as a member of the Player Council, I was, on, I was on the board for six years. I know all the complexities of it. It's a, it's a very difficult environment, but to do it then and start it now at this juncture I think that's a mistake, and the way they did it, they kind of came out without giving a whole blueprint of how it was going to work. So it was kind of they just threw it out there, and then everyone's like, well, what, 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 what are we going to do? And it didn't really have a lot of stages that were included and enough information. So it's been a bumpy road. Yeah, and as players, I mean, there's still not enough information for a lot of us to, to buy into it. I mean, obviously, we want another voice for players and whatnot, but we don't have enough information. So... You know, and especially right now, he's trying to chase the most Grand Slams in history. Oh, so, fine. you know, right now you should be focusing on that, in my opinion, and and uh, that other stuff can take care of itself. Okay, so no Djokovic in Paris. It was definitely a sudden and, and not expected decision. And you'd have to go back to, Nico, when Djokovic was a teenager, the last time he was beaten so soundly. That was by Murat Saf, and Djokovic wasn't a Grand Slam champion yet. This was by Sinego, who, good young player, but that loss came out of left field. Djokovic is 39-3, and three, four titles this year. But in a weird way, it seems like we're still left wanting more from Novak. And for whatever reason, it just hasn't happened. Well, Novak is a polarizing figure, you know, to put it mildly. And even the tournament director went after him in Vienna saying that, you know, whatever he, he put as causes for the defeat were 
you know, unfunded words on, on <laughs> Novak's part. But to be fair to the guy, yeah. he just broke the record for more years as year-end number one. So it's a fantastic performance, and I like to uh, focus on the positive, not to deflect the question, but... You know, Novak brings it on himself, and he's a guy that thrives on challenges, as it was a challenge to break through in the era mm -hmm. of Nadal and Federer. It takes a special kind of mentality to break through, and and I just try to take the positive uh, out of his performance that has been, you know, a thing of beauty, and 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 awesome for him. I feel. We should be commending Novak Djokovic on, on the great season. It, it's been a difficult year for humanity. And he's managed to, to pull through and, and, and end another year as number one. Even if there is that ranking discussion, he earned it. And yeah. uh, it, it's his, and, and it would be written in the storybooks. So I don't want to re-litigate what happened at the U.S. Open, but something interesting that came out of that was Novak saying that he was sorry, that it shouldn't have happened, he's going to work on that. But also... He wasn't going to change who he was and how fiery and competitive he was. That's what got him to break through, as you said, in the era with Nadal and Federer, to stay active, to keep that stranglehold on the younger guys. So I like that we see that passion from Djokovic. And, you know, some people, like you said, he's polarizing. Some people love to see him struggle. But he when he brings it, when he's out there, he feels like he's in every match, and no matter what the scoreline is, he's always going to fight. So I, I like seeing the competitive nature, regardless of whether you know you, you root for him more than the others in the big three. Djokovic's competitive spirit is something that I think is definitely what's going to transcend time for me. And that's what we pay him for. Yeah. <laughs> no, but to be fair uh, to him, the competitive juices were flowing. It was a crazy, crazy, bizarre an unfortunate situation what we lived in the in the US Open match yeah. against Carreño Wusta first because he was playing so well. He came into the tournament so ready to win and there was that PTR discussion or, or announcement before the tournament. And I feel it all was eating at him by the point he was struggling against Carreño in that first set. We have to give it to Carreño as well. Yeah. It all blew up on his face. He he was in disbelief. The only thing in hindsight that I that I would change is he should have apologized right there and then gone to press or whatever. But you can't fault him. We've been in that situation, and that's right. what a lot of the public th th cannot relate to. When the blood is flowing and you're competing, and he was he you know at a level that I cannot comprehend at at my you know. Uh, mediocre, if you want to call it that level, it, it, when the when the blood was flowing or boiling, you you don't know what you're going to come out with. And and to to his in his defense, he came out you know very elegantly, and he grew from the experience. And then he came and had a great French Open. Unfortunately, he ran into you know who <laughs> yeah. in Paris. And no need to uh, call yourself mediocre. <laughs> we're, we're a positive podcast, but no, I mean, no one really can comprehend. There's like three or four guys ever that can comprehend the level that Djokovic has got to. 2020 is a weird year, we know, and, and Djokovic has had his weird moments, but 39 and three, four titles. I mean, it's, it's, I would one, take of the, it. it's one of the best seasons ever. It's a bizarre season for sure. But Djokovic still looking to extend that. We we do expect him in London, and we'll see. We'll get to London in a second, but Nico, the big story in Paris so far this week has been another career milestone, Rafael Nadal getting to 1,000 career wins. 
Right now, he won a couple more times, so he's got 1,002 wins, 201 losses. Only Federer, Connors, and Lendl have gotten to that moment. I mean, it's it's, it's impressive. I mean, 1,000 wins, no matter what you say. Uh, it's just a remarkable testament to his durability. And I'll go one step further. It's almost more shocking and impressive to me than the Grand Slam totals that you heard that Rafa was going to have durability issues. You worried about him lasting this long. He made the comment that he felt old. You know, he was like, well, it means I'm old. I've been around so long. But the fact that he got to 1,000 wins, kept his body and his mind in shape this whole time is just impressive. It's impressive commitment and his, and his willingness and striving to achieve greatness. 1,000 wins just is impressive for anyone, including Rafa. Well, it's a testament uh, to him as a sportsman and as a person beyond uh, the 1,000 wins and the very impressive only 201 losses up to this point. And this week, he, you know, didn't only achieve that already, he might win Paris for the first time. So that's another challenge that Rafa has uh, in the indoor hard courts, which have been the surface that give him the most difficulty. And I think the fact that he achieved it against a good friend in Feli Lopez, who, by the way, has beaten him four times, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it, it felt good. You know, their good friend, Mark Lopez, was outside watching the match. I'm sure those three shared a nice glass of wine that evening because uh, Nadal and Lopez won the gold medal in Rio in doubles, but Feliciano was the one that was supposed to play with Rafa there, and he got injured a uh, yeah. short time before that. But but going back to Nadal and, and his record, being in the top 10 for 16 years, if you count 2020, it's 16 years in the top 10. <laughs> Only one year was a bit of a slip at number nine when he was having the issues with the forehand. But the durability and and and, and how constant he's been through the years with the physical issues, with the physicality that he plays with, is it's as remarkable as that thousand wins. Yeah, I don't want to, you know, belittle obviously all the grand slams he's won, but you always got the sense that when Rafa was healthy and in a grand slam best of five, he's there, he's he's in it to win it. Just the fact that he's lasted as long as he has, when we heard about his knees, his wrist, uh, it's in crazy. You mentioned that he's never won Paris before, never won London either. 86 career titles, which again is is absurd, but only two of them indoor. So this is a new challenge. And for somebody like him, who's pretty much done all there is to do in tennis, looking for those things to motivate himself, this is something that could get him going because Paris is very winnable at the moment. He does not need motivation. He He's a guy that is so pragmatic and and live so in the present. And we don't have to go further than Roland Garros when people were saying, including myself, that it was going to be more of a challenge, although he's always going to be the favorite as long as he can grab a tennis racket and and go on the court. He took it in stride. He it, he, he wasn't feeling, you know, like he had an... Uh, challenge in front of him he said listen i'll go a match at a time and the difficulty is going to be the same and my opponents have to deal with the same things and if that's the the way you you want to go about it uh, fine for you but i'll i'll just keep my method and it worked again for the 13th <laughs> time so this is a guy that doesn't need motivation he i love he, the way he he goes about it in his in his press conferences and 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 how to the to the point and, and and how real 
he he is and how human he is with ultimate respect for the game for the fans and and above all for the opponent he takes everybody serious you heard what andre rubov said where rubov looked up to nadal and said not just he said because of the mental strength not just tennis players he thinks he's like the greatest athlete ever and if you think about just how tough he is i mean it, it it goes without saying, you said, he doesn't need motivation. He is going to bring it consistently. He's one of the surest things in tennis to lock into a match. Uh, Nico Pereira here on the TC Live podcast. Nadal beat Pablo Carena Busta, another countryman, today in the quarterfinals. Three sets. Pablo was there early. Nadal pulls away late. That clinched the spot for somebody else who lost today, Diego Schwartzman, who took it on the chin from Daniil Medvedev. But with that outcome, Schwartzman, Nico is in to the ATP Finals. Diego Schwartzman. He, where do I start with Diego Schwartzman? He's a guy that nobody, he was great in the 12s, 14s, 16 and unders, and everybody kept saying that, yes, but at the 18s, he's not going to be tall enough. He, his guy is 5'7", and that's a stretch. He's 5'6 and a half. And, and he did it in the juniors. And then he did it in the futures. And then he did it in the challengers. And then he did it in the ATP tour level. When he reached the top 100, we all said, wow, what an achievement. Then he kept going. And then he improved his ranking 17, 18 times for two or three years running. And he is at number he was at number eight at some point. He was at number nine going into, into London, finishing in the top ten, making his London debut. Uh, and I could not be happier for, for him because he's as nice as they come yeah. uh, inside and outside the court. That respect is transparent uh, from all other players. He, uh, he earned that respect on the court and, and outside of the court, and he deserves every little bit that he gets. And... And uh, we are just very, very fortunate to right. be in the presence of, of a guy like Deo Schwarzman, a, a truly uh, peculiar and, and special person. Perseverance is what that signifies to me, is that he had to battle and, and really take everything. Nothing was handed to him. How many times have we seen a player, prodigy or not, that starts to gain momentum, a bad loss, something happens, controversy, it affects them, it weighs them down. You mentioned that, two, three, you know, two, improving your ranking spot every couple of years. He just kept climbing and climbing. Nothing really got him down. He had some pretty tough losses in there, some frustrating moments. The U.S. Open, I think it was a first-round loss. He was very upset, but he flips the page, comes over to the clay court season, Rome finalist, French Open semifinalist. I mean, that says it all for Schwartzman and his ability to fight through every point and while remaining one of the most likable guys on tour is pretty commendable. Well, where, if you understand where he comes from, his family was pretty well-to-do. Then in Argentina in the 90s, there was a, uh, an economic catastrophe. They lost everything, and they had to sacrifice. His, his family had to sacrifice everything to have him uh, stay in competition and be able to, to uh, live his dream. And he fought very hard. And, 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 and you mentioned his perseverance, and it, it comes from... Uh, the tradition of Latin American tennis. And I know that firsthand and I know how hard it is to come out of there and and, and persevere and, and, and triumph. And he's a guy that has taken it to a whole new level. Not only because of his his, his physical attributes, uh, but, you know, how hard it can be for him mentally. You mentioned the U.S. Open. That's a tournament that's more 
dear to him in terms of Grand Slams because that's where he got his first big big win against a top tenor. He beat Mario Cilic there some years ago, and, and nobody believed that he could do it, and he got to the run of 16s, and that's where the belief really kicked in. Year after, he hired Juan Ignacio Chela, who was... Yeah, uh, he was—he's just a, a jewel of a person, and and uh, he was in the top fifty. And he said, "How much higher can he go?" And he got into the top thirty, and so on and so forth. And we know where he is today. So, so it, that is a story worth telling. And I just hope he continues to to uh, delight us with his tennis. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. More on the TC Live podcast with Nico Pereira. Mitch Michaels here hosting. Uh, Schwartzman, an incredible story. Kind of glossed over the fact, though, also that today, with that win over Schwartzman, Daniil Medvedev, for the first time in his career, moves up to number four in the world. And it hasn't been the best year. We have all we know that the rankings can be kind of funky with the two-year protected thing. Last year, Nico, he made the semis or further at least 12 times. This is only the second time now making the Paris semis that he's gotten that far in any tournament, but yet he's got his career high ranking. I know you're a fan of his game and his momentum last year. What's been the issue with him, I guess, going forward this year, the stops and starts, and what do you think has caused him some struggles going into 2020? Well, obviously a sophomore slump, but my dear Mitch, you were saying it, you know, the lack of rhythm. Mm Mm-hmm. You, you and I were talking about this before today, and, and the lack of rhythm has been an issue, but then he got to the semifinals at the U.S. Open and was doing quite well, and then he comes, he, he's 0-3 in Paris, now 0-4 after losing another first round, which is very surprising. Yes, he plays very flat, but mm-hmm. a player of that caliber, number four in the world, right, you losing win a few, four yeah. Yeah. first rounds. So yeah. I think that got to him a bit, but I think it comes from from before, the lack of confidence and the sophomore slump, and he'll get over it. I mean, today's match over Schwarzman was just impeccable. He beat, you know, Diego 6-3, 6-1, and that's no easy feat. And I, I think he'll be, you know, he'll be back in his rhythm before we know. Yeah, he's like that baseball player that just needs to be in the lineup every day getting his cuts. Like, he, he'll he'll be fine. Uh, part of it, too, I think you got to give credit to where credit's due. The rest of the tour, the rest of these young guys have stepped up this year. We're, we're guys we're going to get to in a second country mates we're going to get to in a second have made it tougher for him and you know I think that's also good for the game but no no one coasts like he went on an incredible run last summer where he went pretty much every hard court tournament he either won it or made the final so you know it's uh it's not going to be that easy but props to him for getting there uh to number four uh and another guy we got to give props to a semifinals who will play Milos Raonic because his journey from where he kind of started the year, how he ended last year, injuries. There are a lot of people, Nico, that thought this is going to be it for him. Like this is going to be the end of Milos as a top-tier player. But he's turned back the clock and playing some of the best tennis of his life. Listen, people don't realize and appreciate how thoughtful this guy is about his tennis. This is a guy that, since he was young, he was really struggling. He he is determined to be the best that he can be. He's very methodical about how he how he goes about his business, and he's seen psych, 
psychiatrist, excuse me, psychologist, <laughs> sports psychologist since he was really young. I've known about him from my good friends in Canada and how hard he strived to be where he is. And then you see him start his professional career under Gallo Blanco's tutelage, and then he got to the top 100, and Gallo is gone, and at some point he brings in Moya and, 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 and Lubicic and, and McEnroe and, uh, at another stage. He had Moya and McEnroe at the same time. I mean, talk about a roster. So he keeps learning, and he keeps absorbing, and he, and he, this is a he's a physical specimen. This guy is 6'5", you know, 230, 240, I'm going to venture uh, in saying. And um, he struggled with some injuries. When you have such a, you know, big body to carry, you are going to have injuries. And he's done his best to, to deal with them. But this is a guy that when he's healthy, he can beat anybody. And in any surface, okay, you, if you go to clay, Maybe you have to exclude a few. It's like but the when qualifier, you're, yeah. But when like, you're, yeah, but when yeah. you're talking about an indoor hardcore, this guy can beat anybody on any day. You said that as much today, regardless of what the surface and, and the little nuances of each indoor tournament. The indoor favors my game. I'm yes. always going to feel comfortable. Here. And I'm sure he has the numbers to back it up too. He does. That's not. <laughs> yeah, that's not a baseless claim. And he fought today too. Match points down yeah. against Ugo and Bear. Uh, some big wins there. Ugo and Bear, I do want to mention briefly because this French kid who is kind of bursting out of the scene at 22 years old, 23 maybe now. Uh, his run this week with was with wins over Tsitsipas, Chilich, and then a third set tie break, close loss to Milos Raonic. Future's coming pretty quick for this kid too because he's, uh, he's on that trajectory of, all right, made top 50, now we're pushing to top 20. Things are starting to happen from this kid who's got a, a quirky game, but there's a lot to like. Don't forget he beat... Casper Ruud in the first round too. Yeah, that's so, yeah, top forty player so there. Casper Ruud is another youngster that's coming along. But Umber, we we did the first tournament he won earlier this year in January in in New Zealand. He beat Pair in the finals, seven six in the third, and and we called that match and we said, well, this kid is something special. He's a bit skinny, uh, which you know leads you to believe that he has more meat to put on those bones and he will become stronger. But you're absolutely right. Won his second title in Antwerp a couple of weeks ago in an impressive manner over Deminar. Um, traveled with his mother for, for the, some events, which is which is also great to see. You know, mama's boy, they're competing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you're absolutely right. He's the real deal. He's, he's a bona fide uh, star. And I, I believe that there is a bright future in from, uh, for him. He was the last Frenchman standing in the Paris tournament this week, and he would switch sides, leading 5-1 in the third set tiebreaker. I don't know how he didn't put Milos away with two mini breaks uh, in that tiebreaker. He played a great point, 30 shots in that 6-4 match point. Then Milos you know, just did what Milos does. He served his way out of trouble, but fantastic week for Humbert. Do you feel like it's recency bias uh, that we're saying that I'm saying that this might be the time I can remember? I mean, I can't remember a time where we've had more young players progressing. There's been players, individual cases of it, but I'm just thinking, you know, Rublev, we're going to get to in a second. Umber, Medvedev, still. I mean, people think he's older. He's 24, I think. I mean, this is Sitsipas and Zverev kind of got there. As far as the next, the young generation, everyone calls them the next gen. We're starting to see a lot of players take that next step. I think almost simultaneously. It's a nice pool. Yeah, it's a very nice pool. 
you, you, you know, we named uh, Rude. Yeah. There is a kid, Mute, the French kid that it, I, I love watching him play. He's only 21. You have Deminar. We have to name him. Chorich is only 23. He seems to be around forever. Yeah. Auger Eliassim and and well, yeah. and 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 Chappy, Denis Shapovalov, they're they're just fantastic and and we have a berrettini who also burst into the scene last year so yeah i i'm with you i'm very excited about our present it's not even our future it's right here right now it's staring us in the face and as hard as this year has been you're absolutely right these youngsters came and, and came here to stay it's a deep pool the cream the cream is going to rise to the top so we'll see who can separate yes, themselves that's exactly. the fun stuff uh more with nico Pereira on the tc live podcast are you worried at all with the recent struggles, maybe injury situation with Stefano Tsitsipas? Because he's clearly been going through some stuff injury-wise. He's had some tough losses in there. The U.S. Open with George comes to mind. Made that run to the semis and pushed Djokovic to the brink in five sets, but said he felt something there. Loses to Umber, references an injury. Hasn't had the same type of finish to the year that he did last year when he won the ATP final. So anything to be worried about with Tsitsipas? And listen, be worried about me, not about Tsitsipas, okay? Because this guy is is he's solid. He's searching for answers. I just feel like he's going through that uh, bit of a metamorphosis of of finding himself as an adult. He's not a young rising star anymore. He's a star, star. in his own right. He's he has the father situation that you know I I met the father a couple of times. He's a fantastic guy and. Loves his son to the bone, and, and you know, and and Stefano's, uh, you can compare a little bit to what Zverev is it's, it's going through with the family, and he found um, Ferrer, who I think has done wonders, as, as we can see for Zverev, and I think Sitsipas has a great guy in his corner in Patrick Moratoglu that's still not done with Serena, but I feel as long and as soon as Serena's train has, you know parked or left the station um he's going to jump over to Sitsipas and 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 i think he's going to get the help he needs to 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 reach new heights but this guy has arrived and he, he's a great star to have around in our game it's going to sound a little crazy and i don't want to make the leap because we have to see where the careers go but it kind of you said mental mental like Memorphosis of what Tsitsipas is going through, <laughs> becoming an adult it kind of reminds me of the early stages of novak djokovic where there was a lot of talent there he kind of had his ups and downs. It was volatile, you know, and it wasn't always the most consistent. But when he got his game on, it was incredible. Now, obviously, the odds of getting to Djokovic's level aren't as exactly clear because Djokovic might be the best ever at this point. But Sitsipas is in that early stage where he's proven he can beat everyone. He is a star, as you mentioned. Now it's a matter of finding consistency, taking care of your body, channeling all the, the, the negative energy, and getting past losses and bad moments. I was actually really impressed with how he bounced back from the U.S. Open, blew like seven match points against Chorich, and then had a good clay court season. Now he's just finding an identity. You know that guy is is fantastic. I mean, just look at what he does off the court. He he was smart enough to limit that a bit, and that transferred immediately to more success on the court. And he's going to find a way. He's going to fight to find a way. And he's just you know getting to feel a bit more freedom and and and. Becoming a man as a star, it's not easy yeah. to 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 grasp that concept when you're living in the limelight all of a sudden, and you like it because he like obviously likes the limelight, but he, he he's trying to be 
bit yeah. more humble about it. Have right. a, you know, he's not the most well liked in the locker room, and 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 I'm sure that that uh, it's something that he's not really worried about. Oh. But, but his level of tennis is just impressive. He's all around a great athlete, and I think he's he's. Uh, for the next decade, he's going to dazzle us with, with uh, great results and, and fantastic moments. Another example of how we've been spoiled by Rafa and Roger. <laughs> it's totally. just, it's just, that's, it, that's know, not even goal. The, the humanitarian <laughs> level. I mean, no, totally. Sitsipas is definitely a star and he's going to continue to dazzle us. The last guy I want to bring up, probably the best year outside of Novak Djokovic, Andre Rublev, 39 and seven, five titles more than anybody on tour, started the year outside the top 20. Now sits at number eight, ATP finalist, 23 years old. What a run and what a year for this Russian kid that wasn't even top two in his country to start. I'm a big fan. And I've been uh, able to get a closer look because I'm a good friend and a big admirer of, of Fernando Vicente, who's been his coach for the past six years. And Ferry was really excited about this this 15, 16 year old that he that he took on and very excited about the project and he's seen it to fruition. And we talked about it in the last couple of seasons. This is a guy that was sidetracked by a back problem that took him away from the courts for a few months and he came back even better. He's gotten a you know a little stronger. But this guy was top twenty and he had not been to the second week of a slam practically. So we said when this guy starts playing well in the two weeks events in the majors watch out and he he got to the quarters in uh, at the u.s open losing to his good friend medvedev and and uh you said it i mean he did start the season with the two wins then came the pandemic and we said okay how is he going to 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 start again and he's backed it up with three more wins and his first time in the last eight and his game He's gone to another level. To me, his Achilles heel was the second serve, and he seems to have taken care of that. He's been a bit bit more consistent and more audacious at the same time, hitting it a bit more. He feels more secure. His ability to punch anybody out from the baseline was never in doubt. Now I, I feel he can improve a little bit inside the lines, inside right. the paint, at the net to finish up the point. But uh, what a great guy to have around. Great mercurial personality. I love watching him. He's got some real weapons. I mean, it's the forehand is insane. The first serve has been great. He loses that match to Medvedev, and, and his response, his country made his friend. His response was, you know, I got to get better. Like, that's the difference between the top players. So he follows it up with three more titles, as you said, and a guy who's also proven that he can beat anybody. I mean, he's got wins over Federer. He beat Tsitsipas for that clay court title. I mean, this... Things are looking good for, for the game, obviously, but for Rublev, you mentioned the progression with his coach and how they've kind of been steadily building for this moment. It doesn't There doesn't really appear to be an end in sight. Like th There is going to be a, more progression. Well, like he's number eight. This is not going to be the first, spoiler alert, this isn't going to be the first ATP finals this kid makes. He refuses to lose. He's very hard-headed. He thinks he can beat anybody. He competes with the best of them. He doesn't have as many resources in terms of defending off the backhand side and and you know being the fastest guy. But somehow he has a will that uh, surpasses what you see in in your everyday fighter. And the dad is a boxer, and that's how he approaches tennis. Kind of, you know, he he's a brawler. He is a brawler. Love seeing him. Glad we're going to see him in London. Nico Pereira on the TC Live podcast. Always a pleasure. Last clip we're going to toss to 
because 2020 is about changes in the rankings, but also with some other stuff. Could we be getting rid of electronic line calling and or could we be bringing in electronic line calling in tennis rather and getting rid of the human element? This was the TC Live discussion you were a part of. We're going to follow it up in a second, but here's what was said on TC Live. As we look ahead to the new year, we wanted to put this question on the table. Is the time right? Is the sport ready, guys, to transition to full-time, whether it's Hawkeye Live or some other company that brings us full-time electronic line calling, elimination of the human element? Paul, are we there? Well, my biggest thing, the one issue I've had with Hawkeye is I always feel that the players should have the same conditions on the courts. So if it's on all the tournament courts and that's the best way to get the calls right, do it that way. So I'm for it if they can get the same conditions for all the players. Are we ready? Oh, yes, definitely. I did that first uh, next-gen event, and, and they tried to implement three or four new rules, and overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, this one was the one that the players wanted to keep. And I think that the players are going to be heard on this one. It's going to happen. To me, the question is, where are you going to draw the line? The 250s don't make enough money and some of them don't make money at all, so you're not going to be able to do it in any courts, let alone all courts. So I think that the cutoff is going to have to be the 500s, and there is going to have to be some, some kind of, of payment done to the tournaments in order to afford this. You're not even talking clay. You didn't get to your No, no, that, we're, we're, hold, wait, hold, wait. Hold your water on that, because we're getting there. But you bring up the point, Paul, about consistency, and, and maybe the tours are going to have to contribute money to subsidize some of this. But how do we get off arguing for consistency in a sport that has four different endings at the four different Grand Slams. We live with inconsistency there. Why can't we live with inconsistency here if we do the best we can wherever we can? Well, we can live with the inconsistency we have, and I think we have for a long time. I think the idea is not to is not to be right, it's to get it right. You know, And if this gets it right, if it's a better way of getting it right, we can figure out ways to subsidize it so the tournaments that can't do it can use it in a different way, then we should. But if it has to go along like it is, I, I think progress is being made. I think technology's getting better. Costs will go down. But I'm all for getting it right. And look, I would... I would love to see a player poll on this. Love to see a top yeah. 100 player poll. On what, what do you think the players would say? Do you think most are, uh, would support this? I think they support it. Hands down, it's uh, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly supported by the players. Uh, the cost issue, definitely. But we're there. All the sports are using it, so we can't fight against progress, and, and we're there. Unfortunately for our dearly beloved line judges. Yeah, you know, our friends. We, yeah, we love those guys. You know, listen, technology is immutable. They're going to have to be retrained. A lot of people are losing jobs to technology. So uh, since you asked for it, we'll ask the clay question. This was all the rage last month at Roland Garros. I was waiting for you to tee it up, Habes, and I just, I don't know. I mean, how many times have we seen situations like this where, first of all, they look at the same mark and have a different answer? Come on. And sometimes they look at different marks. This is touching. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it's not. How it's shaped like this, it's not. I, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, Nico, I think once players start to use this, they will buy in and believe. But I'll tell you what, on a clay court, it is different because you see so many reactions like Shapovalov. I know, but that we're going to be kneeling down and arguing about Granules? which grains of clay constitute the beginning of the mark. We can't do that. We're too I, smart for that. I tell you, I love that. You I, like I to see the argument. I love the argument, and, oh. and I love the, the guys really getting frustrated and who can get over it and, and, who, 
and who can't. But unfortunately, nowadays, there is too much in play. There is too much money. There is too much prestige. And if we have the technology, we have to do it. It's a no-brainer in well, my book. Yeah, one of the biggest problems, though, too, is because you mentioned the granules of the clay. When the ball flies over totally, the line yes. and it's going 85 miles an hour, yes. where it lands is different than where the mark is because the granules get blown <laughs> yes. away by the seed of the ball. I love it's it really when the umpires when the umpires tell you it was coming from that direction and you you that's can't right possibly bounce. extrapolate. And plus, when they brush the lines, right? They brush <laughs> the clay away yeah, on either mark. side of the right. line. You there's can't tell mark. where the mark be. If it's 20 years ago when Hawkeye just arrived, I get that maybe the players wouldn't trust the technology. But Nico, the technology has been around for almost two decades. Don't you think the players have bought in enough to trust it over these silly arguments about where marks begin and end? Well, there are pressure situations that you really want the ball to be out and for it to be no doubt black and white, it has to be technology. Okay. You do, win. Do, wait, do we have a consensus? Yeah. Technology. Wow. Someone clipped Let's that off it. and put it on the web. We all, Three people agreed. I've never seen this before in my life. All right. So I, for the record, am ready for this moment. I think we've been building for it. I think it's time to do it. But I like what you said where you love as a fan, you love seeing the argument. You love <laughs> seeing the controversy. And when I heard that argument, I'm like, yeah, I agree with that too. As a, as a consumer, that is entertaining. You're a millennial. So you, you go you go yeah. with, the, with technology. I'm part of the of that generation we're the last of the mohicans you know we grew up in the pen and, and paper era and fighting with the umpires and that interaction fueled some people like john McEnroe and others uh but it is time definitely my my sadness my heart goes out to all you know the jobs that are going right. to be lost because you know i was close to a lot of uh, line judges, umpires, uh, they're really part of the game. I have good friends among them. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's sports. It's uh, There is money. There is uh, prestige to be won. And we have to live in the present. And other big sports went to it. I think tennis will be missing out if we don't go to it right. because uh, it is here now. And uh, the question is who can afford it? You know, that's, that's a big question because I, I feel that the Grand Slams and the Masters 1000 and, and, and the premier events in the WTA uh, are the ones that can afford it. Let's see whoever wins the bid, uh, the company that wins the bid, if they can subsidize some of the smaller tournaments, but the 500s maybe, but the 250s are not. No, they're having a hard enough time before the pandemic. Now they're they're underwater. It's really tough. Financials are really tough nowadays. I have a, a bit of access uh, to that, and 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 it's really a tough question. Maybe it's not the right time, but I think it's inevitable. Yeah, when John Wertheim on this very podcast said just the percentages of how accurate electronic is, like ninety nine percent over a hundred thousand calls or whatever it is. I mean, you got to just make that move. It does suck for the human element, but. You bring up a good point. It's going to be tough for everybody to get on board with who can afford it. So you're going to start to see different levels and, you know, things start to change there. But the stakes are pretty high. Uh, we're excited to move into the future. Eat millennials, older generation, whatever generation we are. Uh, I had to needle you. <laughs> you had to, had to. Nico Pereira, always a pleasure. Last thing, uh, prediction for Paris. This will be, you know, we got a couple of days. Who do you got winning it? Whoa, that's a tough one. I mean, you have Raonic playing well against Medvedev. I'm I'm going to give it to Medvedev just because, you know, 
I, th I think he's in the upswing, and I was impressed today what he did against Schwarzman. Of, although Raonic is a is a very tough uh, opponent, especially on the surface, as we spoke. I see Zverev playing really well. Rafa is not at his sharpest, so I'm I'm gonna have to go with uh, with Zverev. Okay, I, I think he's you know he's playing that well. If he keeps serving like that, Paul Anacon today said, uh, you know, he he came up with a great uh, Worthen-esque stat which is three double faults in 155 points serving. And if he keeps up his serving, I don't think uh, anybody's going to beat him in this particular circumstance. You know, Rafa's never done it here. I want to go sentimental, but I think it's time for Medvedev to get back on that horse. So I'm going to say Medvedev writes the ship, wins this one, should be exciting. Then we got the ATP finals. So we're not done yet. We got Sofia action next week, and then a week after that ATP finals, it's going to be a blast. Nico Pereira, thanks for joining the TC Live podcast. Thank you very much. A reminder, you can catch every episode of the TC Live podcast on the Tennis Podcast Network, tennis.com slash podcast. Find all the episodes there. Check us out on all your podcast platforms. Next week, another episode, more action taking place on the ATP Tour in Sofia. The WTA is in Linz, and we're gearing up for the 2020 ATP Finals in London. I'm Mitch Michaels for Nico Pereira. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.